The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Hello, Joni. Here we are remotely yet again. <laughs> we, we are. I think this is actually um, podcast number 23. Wow. I know. We're just rocking away on this podcast. And for everybody listening, this is the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, and we tell it like it is. So if you don't think, want if you don't want to hear it, you better not listen because we, we don't. might tell it more than most people would prefer to hear. But you know, I'm at the point where it's like I don't care no. because the problem out there is so bad that people need to hear it. Because if we don't tell them who's going to, that's right. We really can't pull any punches. You know, if you guys want this story, um, what's the word? If you want it made softer. Yeah, nope, not going to happen here. So what did you want to talk about, Jason? Well, okay, so it was uh, there was something really interesting that I read in the New York Times today. And as I'm reading it, the more I'm going through it, the more nauseous I'm getting. And so this is where I'm at. Okay, so basically, it's not a secret that we have this huge opiate problem. We have a huge drug problem, period. Opiates just you know, happened to get the most amount of, uh, I don't know, press time and the most attention just because of the sheer number of people it kills. Right. But, you know, there's an overall huge drug problem. It's not a secret at this point. And, you know, it, it just kind of is what it is. And, you know, I feel like we should be at the point now where we're starting to put some prophylactic measures in place to prevent new addictions from being created. And we're at least getting people who are addicted the help that they need but, you know, when I come across an article in the New York Times, which, I mean, if you want to talk about a reputable source, I mean, there you go. And this article was discussing how health insurance companies and just one in particular that was mentioned in the article are almost purposely creating more addicts. Wow. Now, why would they do that? That was the first question I had. Um, basically what's happening is that, so when it comes to opiates and painkillers, most of them are really addictive, right? Right. Most of them are, you know, cause problems. We're talking about Vicodin, Percocet, Oxycontin, stuff like that. But what people don't realize is that there are other pain relieving options that are less addictive that exist. However, the insurance companies refuse to pay for it. Wow. Now, why would they refuse to pay for it? Because the less addictive drugs are more expensive than the, you know, your traditional immediate release narcotic drugs that are really, really, you know, have a huge addictive potential. And so you basically got United Healthcare in particular. And I'm sorry if anyone out there is upset that I called out United Healthcare, or if United Healthcare is upset, you know, that's fine. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, most opiate drugs are generally cheap, right? Mm -hmm. And the safer alternatives are oftentimes a lot more, a lot more expensive. And so you've got these, <laughs> you've got United Healthcare in particular. And like I said, they were just mentioned in this article that are like, yeah, you know, we will, if you get prescribed a narcotic painkiller, like Oxycontin, Vicodin, Percocet, whatever, we'll not only fill it, we'll be happy to fill it, happy to pay for it. And we're not going to like ask for any like prior authorization from your physician to get it, but they're making 
the other drugs, like there's a drug called uh, Butrans. Um, there's a drug called Lyrica. Even though it's a psych drug, they use it for pain, and it's not as addictive as you know Oxycontin or Vicodin. They'll make people jump through hoops to get prescribed the things that they more than likely won't become addicted to. Wow. Um, it would require prior authorization. And there's even a guy who was uh, cited in the article who was on this Butrans drug for a little while. And um, United Healthcare wrote him a letter trying to persuade him to take less expensive medication, but more addictive medication. I mean, it's insane. It's wow. Insane. It's, it's, it's like, so you've got an insurance company who we, when it comes to insurance, you know, we depend on insurance. You know, most of us pay for it, hoping we'll never use it. But, you know, if it comes a time where we need to use it, we're expecting them to look out for us and have our best interests in mind, right? Right. And so now you've got them more or less forcing drugs on you, just like the doctors, just like the pharmaceutical reps, just like the pharmaceutical companies. And get this, most of the time, they're going to make people have to jump through hoops again to get treatment once they're addicted. And they might not pay for treatment altogether. Wow. Now, how's that? That's that, messed up, isn't it, Johnny? That is so messed up, Jason. I mean, that's just, uh, that it's criminal. Like United Healthcare, I'm sorry I keep talking about them specifically. And I, I just, I feel like I'm going to piss somebody off. I don't care. Um, we have the hardest time billing them through Narconon than any other, than any, any other, uh, healthcare providers, more of the times they'll they'll reject claims. Hmm. So, I mean, that's really messed up because you're taking a, a health insurance company, like I said, them basically forcing you onto highly addictive drugs. They're basically refusing to pay for treatment or underpaying for treatment once you need it because you're a drug addict. Right. And it's like, I, I just don't get it because it's almost like they're doing it on purpose. Well, we know it's all about the money. It is, but that's the thing. That's what this whole article is saying is that you've got these ins- this insurance company that doesn't want to spend any money at, at the cost of people's lives. You know, I, would they want like lifelong customers? Well, it's good luck because the average opiate addict life expectancy is about seven years. Once they're wow. addicted, that's actually your statistic. Life expectancy of an opiate addict, I think, is seven years after they become addicted. Wow. I mean, that's low. I mean, that's like so basically for those people out there who are using opiates, think about how long you've used it. <laughs> how much time you might have left unless you get help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say it in It's jest, scary, but, like, but it's true. It's really this serious. Yes. I mean, I literally was an opiate addict for a few months. <laughs> right. Before things got so bad. Right. And so out of control. And I developed such an intense, um, I want to say resistance is a tolerance to the drug. Like there was a day where I literally swallowed, I think I swallowed it was what's I do math um, 80 times oh, 800 milligrams of Oxycontin in a few hours. Wow. Yeah. And I wasn't even high. I wasn't, it didn't even, it took the edge off like the withdrawal, but I wasn't, I was like, wow, I should be dead. Yeah. Actually. That's a lot of Oxycontin I just took. Yeah. Um, I took it over a span of hours, but I mean, that's what happens to people yeah. out there. And that's why heroin ends up becoming such like a, like a, like a solution to that because it's cheaper it's stronger it does the trick better and you know if when you're spending that much money on pills every day you know to cut your cost down is like in every addict's best interest so to speak right and that's what makes it so attractive um 
the other interesting thing is that like so there's been recent spikes of cocaine overdoses and co- and complications due to cocaine use and it's been linked to the opiate epidemic wow well how's that that's a good question right how is yeah that? how's that happen yeah so you take one one drug causing the overdose is another drug well you know we don't live in a time anymore where dealers are cutting their drugs to make them weaker it's like the opposite right people are cutting their drugs to make them stronger and don't care if they kill you they just want your money they're actually finding fentanyl in cocaine supplies wow um so people think they're getting cocaine which is a stimulant and they end up ingesting a fatal dose of fentanyl on top of it because it's been mixed in and you i mean if you go buy a bag of coke you can't look at it and be like well there's fentanyl in there you can't it's all white it's a white powder right right so you, you can't tell so um the other thing when it comes to cocaine is that a lot of times people who use cocaine and also use opiates will do something called a speedball. And what's that? Well, speedball is when you mix cocaine and heroin in the same syringe and shoot it up. It's Ugh. actually it's actually what killed uh, John Belushi. You can't see my face. It's just like uh so your bot your your system Your system doesn't know whether to speed up or slow down. Right. So do you know what your body will usually do when it, given that decision? I would think it would short circuit. It just shuts off. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, you know, there's an increase, you know, because of the opiate problem, you know, you know, there's an increased amount of people who are mixing cocaine and opiates together. And there's also the people who are getting cocaine laced fentanyl. Hmm. It's, a, it's insane. Like the world we live in is crazy. Yep. The world we live in is absolutely crazy because – for me, the best type of drug prevention for a child would to be for the parents to sit the child on a couch and turn on the news. Yep. And just make them watch it. Yep. Because when I was growing up, you didn't have a problem like this. You didn't. And, you know, people were more willing, I guess, to try drugs because, no, you didn't hear people overdosing. You didn't hear people dying. There weren't heroin addicts. But now there is. But you still have kids that are getting turned on to it regularly. Right. Um, you know, and I think it comes back to the fact of the matter of, you know, people, humans, are, we're, we're pleasure seekers and don't want to feel pain. So it's like anything to take us out of it. And it goes beyond drugs. Even if it goes to sex, it goes to gambling, uh, you, you know, uh, pornography, you know, all the different things that people get addicted to. It's just something that takes them outside themselves. Right. Which leads me to a question for you. I want to see if you have an answer for this. Because I don't. Okay. Why is it that nowadays it seems like mankind as a whole has no ability nor a desire to look at, handle, and deal with their problems? Well, first of all, one of the things I want to just kind of point out to you is that I think the majority of man does. But... Don't forget that you are working in an industry and with a certain segment of the population that definitely cannot confront problems because if they could, they wouldn't have become addicted in the first place. You know what I mean? It's like that's kind of where your focus is. But, you know, I deal with people all the time who do confront and handle problems and don't turn to drugs. So... There are people who will, and there are people who won't. Right. And which is an interesting, which you bring up an interesting point, is that 
you know, and I'm included in this, is that the, the drug problem we have is so bad, we almost assume that more people are on drugs than really are on drugs. You know what I mean? Right. And you're right. Like, I deal with a certain subsect of people that are all on drugs because I work <laughs> in rehab. Um, and so it's like, I'm like, oh, my God, the whole world's on drugs. Those are the only and people you see, Jason. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and um, People who aren't on drugs don't come in and call you, okay? That's true. Uh, there, there is a still a whole good world out there of people that are doing the right thing. It's just, you know, it's interesting being in the middle of all this. Yes. And yeah. just seeing the wreckage that it causes, you know, people in their own lives, people in their families. And, you know, the saddest thing to me is when I get a call from like a mother that's calling for their son or daughter that has four kids, has custody of all four kids, is smoking crack smoking meth, shooting heroin, can't hold a job, and the, the, the parent doesn't know what to do. Now, <laughs> it's almost like that feeling I have when I walk by a homeless person with a dog. Yep. It's like you can't take care of yourself. What makes you think you can get a dog? And, and, and most people will end up giving the guy money hoping he buys dog food, but unfortunately he probably won't. And so it bothers me when I know there's kids involved. Oh, of course. It really bothers me when there's kids involved because I know they're not being well taken care of and I know that their best interests aren't at heartbeat because, you know, when a person's addicted to drugs, unfortunately, they will sink to levels where it's like, yeah, I don't care about my kids. Yeah, they haven't eaten in three days and they're sitting in, you know, seven hour old diapers is fine with me because I, I'm sick and I need to get high. They're not exactly thinking about anybody other than themselves. I mean, that's just the that's just the truth. Yeah, it becomes a very you become the center of your universe and you believe you're the center of everyone else's universe. And to a point, an addict is, I mean, people have to realize you know, there's a lot of, well, let me back up. There's lots of rehabs out there that are more psychiatric focused and will say, Oh, you know, an addict is narcissistic. And they think that the whole world just kind of is at their beck and call and revolves around them. Um, what's funny is not funny, but what's funny is that, when there's an addict in the family, that's exactly what happens. And it's not necessarily the addict that does that. It's like the whole family becomes becomes consumed with the addict and their addiction and what they're doing, what they're not doing, and whether they're gonna, you know, survive the night or not survive survive the night. So, you know, I don't believe an addict just becomes fully narcissistic. I believe it's true. They do become the center of everyone's universe and, you know, What's a family to do in that situation other than to completely focus on the biggest problem that they see that they have? Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. I think you're exactly right. I mean, this is why, you know, this is why we talk about this issue because there are families out there and the family is being destroyed because all of the attention is focused on the addict. And I mean, that's all they think about, you know, how do we handle it? Where is he or where is she? Is she okay? Is she not okay? Am I going to get that call? Am I going to get that knock on the door saying that he or she has overdosed? I mean, that's, that's what happens. Yeah, you know? it is. And you know, and there's addicts that get sober whose families still jump every time the phone rings for about two years afterwards. I'm because, sure. You know, it's so instilled in them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's unbelievable what addicts will cause the family. Yeah. And you know, the, the interesting thing is that, you know, an addict using drugs, they literally think they're surviving better with a drug than without the drug. And so 
since the drug becomes, you know, the cornerstone of what of how they deal with life, you know, they can't imagine life without it. And so I don't know if I've said this before, but, you know, addicts are very protective of their addictions. Right. And they're very um, – what's the word I'm looking for? They can be very defensive when approached with treatment, when approached with help in any way because help not only – um, you know, threatens to take the security blanket away, but for an addict to accept help also means that they're admitting that they're wrong for everything that they've been doing. Right. That they're wrong for the lying, they're, lo- they're wrong for the stealing, they're wrong for using drugs and the choices that they made and what they've done to the family and like all those things. And that can be a hard pill to swallow, no pun intended, for um, for a lot of addicts because they have to finally swallow their pride and say, you know what? I really screwed everything up and you guys are absolutely right and I do need help. And that's a big deal uh, for addicts. Now, there's some that go to treatment completely willingly and there's, I'd say, almost half of the people at least that I encounter um, that need that need interventions. Right. Because sometimes they don't see what's going on. You know, I, I have families call – and they'll say, well, I don't understand why they can't just see that they have a problem and, and ask me for help. I'm willing to pay and help them get into treatment and do what they need to do. But they need to ask me for help and they need to say that they really want it. Because I'm not going to waste my money to do an intervention to force someone into treatment. And I'm certainly not going to give them an ultimatum and force them into treatment because they don't really want it for themselves. And what I tell these people is like, OK, you're asking an addict who's using drugs to make a logical decision. Right. Using drugs is illogical. Everything that they do is illogical. Right. They're not going to make a logical decision. I mean, just the fact that the drugs have become survival for the person when everybody around them can look at them and go, they're going to kill themselves. You know, I mean, there you go. There that that's not logical. So if you're trying to if you think that the addict is going to make a logical decision, you I don't know what you're smoking, but that is not going to happen. it's insane when they say that to me because that's exactly what I tell them. I said, they're not going to just come up to you and say, you know what? All that money was missing from your purse and the camera that you couldn't find and all this stuff that's unaccounted for. I I took that and I shoot about a gram of heroin a day. Um, I I was high at um, my sister's wedding and blah, 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 blah. They're not going to do that. And and like, I really need help. They're not going to do that. They will never do that. And so, I need families out there that are listening to this who have the same mindset. Like they have to reach out for help first. They have to admit what's going on. They have to come and say they need help. They're not going to do that most of the time because an addict can't make a logical decision because their logic got them addicted to drugs and their problem solving skills got them addicted to drugs. And what they consider the most logical choice is – Every day they need to steal something, scam something, or do something probably that's completely illegal to get their drugs because the most logical thing they can do is continue using drugs. That's where their logic is. And so you can't expect them to make a positive, life-altering decision for themselves because they're not capable of doing that at at all. I mean, they're not. And – you know, the worst thing a family could do is to to not do an intervention, not, you know, get someone into treatment because honestly, you know, if you, okay, so you choose not to do that. 
then, you know, a week later when they're overdosing your bathroom, are you going to wish you had done it? Yeah. Would forcing them into treatment, so to speak, quote unquote, or doing an intervention be, be worse than that? Yeah. I don't think so. No, no. And I, you know, we, we called this podcast the point of no return. And my thought process on it when we did it was to kind of find out from addicts, like what was their point of no return when they had a wake up call and went, oh my goodness, I have to do something about this. And I always ask the people that we interview, I always ask them that question, but it's the same question for the loved ones. It's the same question for the parents and families. How bad do you need it to get before you actually do something and take action? How bad do you need it to get? What's your wake-up call? You know, Is it yeah. the jewelry that has sentimental value that you're never going to get back again? Is it the call in the middle of the night that your kid was just arrested for having drugs? What is that wake-up call for you? Because you need to take a look at that. Because if you wait until the person is dead from an overdose, uh, you blew it. You can't yeah. do anything then. It's all over. It's a done deal, you know? You know, I've had some parents that have actually said, you know, I actually hope that they die because then this can just all be over. And I almost, when I had a parent say that to me, I almost couldn't keep my composure. I got really sad. It makes me sad. I mean, really? I mean, you know, but what that, what that's, and what, it, what that is an indicator of is they don't know where to go for help. Yeah. You know, and you guys listening, we're going to beat the drum every time we do a podcast. There is help. There is hope. You have support groups like Learn to Cope. And then you have rehab programs like Narcanon. And Narcanon has a 75% success rate. Okay, it's a 75% success rate. There aren't other programs out there that have that high a success rate. They just don't. So there is actually hope. And if, you're in, if you need help with intervention, hey, that, Jason's at the other end of the phone line if you call Narcanon Suncoast, you know? Yeah. Or somebody's at the other end of that phone line. But, it, you know, you... I, that's really sad. I mean, that yeah. that's that's really really sad that, to say that. Yeah. And I can sort of understand where that would come from, but it's still really sad. Not it's sad because there is help. You know, if we were doing this and we didn't know about the results that Narcanon can get, well, then that would be one thing. You know, and we could all be sad together and hopeless together. But it's not hopeless. No. Okay, so there you go. Yeah, I couldn't do a podcast that gives you know, this epic problem, but there's no solution. You know what I mean? That wouldn't be doing anybody any kind of good. And, um, you know, the the thing that I really like is that I know there's a solution to addiction. I do. Um, that works for most people. And so, you know, I hope people that are listening to this, you know, pick up the phone and call if, you know, they have someone that needs help and they've tried everything else and nothing's worked. I mean, what else do you have to lose other than trying something different, something that you can't get in any other program, and you know what? It may be the very thing that gets your loved one clean and back to the way they used to be. And what is that worth to you? I mean, yeah. your peace of mind, your happy family, that child that was a beautiful and bright and shiny young little boy or girl that you just loved with all your heart. How much is it worth to you to get that back? 
you know, and it can be done. It's not, it, it, it's not impossible, you know. Jason sees it all the time, every day, every week, you know, sees the results of this particular program and how well it works. I'm going to plug the number. We're not done talking, but it's 877-339-3324. So, you know, I'm just going to throw that number out there. Um, and it is kind of something that we harp on because we know that it works, you know, yeah. I mean, that's the bottom line. But you got to take a, you parents and loved ones, you really got to take a hard look at this and just figure out what is it worth to you to have your loved one back and have them back in one piece, clean and sober, having not only gotten the drugs out of their system, but also having really confronted the problems or demons or what have you that led them to take drugs in the first place. What's that worth to you? You know? We're telling you it's possible. You can get that back. I don't care how many rehab programs you've taken your loved one to. You can get that back. You know? There is hope. There and is speak- hope. Yeah. And speaking of hope, I wanted to bring up a positive story. Oh, good. Because I can't just, you know, I, sometimes I'm like, you know, I got to bring some positive news to the table. So I'm going to. So I personally would like to give a shout out to the Franklin County, Ohio jail. Okay. And this is why. Okay. So um, local lawmakers in Franklin County saw, you know, we've got a ton of people in the county jail, most of which are here for drug-related charges. Most of the drug-related charges are because of opiate addiction. Mm -hmm. And so what they've decided to do is upon release, you know, after they've done whatever time they have to do, or they bail out or whatever, upon their release, they're one, they're offered Vivitrol, which, you know, okay. it's not, it's not a solution in of itself, but they're all, you know what Vivitrol is? I think we've talked about it before, but you got to refresh my but memory. Vivitrol is, a, it's, it's an injection, it's a time release injection of naloxone, which is an opiate blocker. So basically it, it, it blocks your ability to get high from opiates, but I mean, you can get high from other drugs. Now, the, right. it, you know, it's a lot, for a long time, it's been hailed as like a silver bullet. It's a miracle cure. You know, for addicts that just like can't get sober or they can get sober, but they can't stay sober. So the uh, injection blocks the euphoric effects that you get from opiates. And so, you know, people thought, well, you just take this shot and you're fine. But besides offering this Vivitrol injection, they're also linking uh, released inmates up a rehab. I said, you know, Vivitrol by itself isn't a cure. It's not. Right. I mean, right. a lot of people thought it was like, oh, just take the shot and you're good. It's not. But the good thing about what Franklin County Jail is doing is that they're offering the Vivitrol injection, but they're also linking uh, released inmates up with rehab and getting them into treatment. Oh, good. That I like. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm, that I am very, very, very more than okay with. I think that's awesome because I don't know of any other jails out there that give to you know what's about the people that are released. Um Uh, Because honestly, you know, the opiate crisis has increased profits for the private sector of prisons. Right. Um, I think it's kind of sick that there is a private sector of prisons, that there's actually corporations making money off people being incarcerated. Right. That's either here nor there. But I think it's great that you've got this one county in Ohio. And the last I checked, Ohio as a state is up there as the top states with the largest amount of overdose deaths and overdoses in the nation. And so what they're doing is that they're actually 
doing something proactive about it. They could easily have said, all right, we're just going to like give people this Vivitrol shot and then send them on their merry way and hopefully they'll be okay. You know, at least they can't use heroin. But they're actually they're actually linking them up with treatment. That's great. And I, I think that's great. Um, it's starting on October 1st um, of this year. And um, the county right now is expecting about 520 inmates are going to take the injection um, and and take um, take the 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 uh, the bridge into treatment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know you've got a uh, so um, they think the injections are going to cost about I think they they're going to cost about seven hundred and seventy dollars per year per inmate, and the okay. state's going to pay for it. Wow. The federal government's going to pay for that and pay for their treatment. Wow. Um, and Franklin County overdose deaths were up about 88% this year as opposed to last year. And so, I mean, everyone seems pretty optimistic in the area that this is going to hopefully turn the thing around out there. Um, you know, personally, I wish the federal government would pay for Narconon. Um, yeah. I get that they're not there yet. That's fine. Uh, well, it's not fine, but one day we'll be there. Yeah. Um, you know, people ask us, you know, why you guys don't, why don't you guys take Medicare? Why, why don't you guys take Medicaid? And I say, <laughs> that's not our choice. Uh, we'd love to. They won't pay you. The, the government, unfortunately, you know, in the government's eyes, there's one type of treatment that works and that's, you know, 12 step more psychiatric based treatment. That's okay. I mean, some people get clean that way. And, you know, I hope everyone gets clean at some point, you know. I'm not, I don't tell people, you know, you need to do Narcanon to get clean. It's like Narcanon helps most people that treats, but other modalities work for some people too. And so I can't really knock anything too hard. Um, right. All I care about is that a person gets clean, gets off drugs and goes back to some semblance of a normal life. And hopefully they're better for it. You know, I always tell people I'm a better person now having gone through everything that I've gone through than I was before I ever did drugs. Like right. I had familial problems before I ever became a drug addict, I, I remember right. me and my dad never got along real well. Most of the time uh, we would, but like I always remember for some reason it would take a family vacation for us to get into a, a huge knockdown drag out fight. Um, and we butted heads at times. And me and my mom, you know, didn't get along great. And I was kind of a fresh mouth kid, <laughs> fresh mouth kid, <laughs> believe it or not. And um, I, I'm a better person having gone through what I've gone through and done narking on. Because it doesn't just like get you off drugs, it actually handles you as a person in your life. And so I hope that anyone that gets clean gets to have that. Yes. That that part of it is kind of invaluable because most people are like, oh, well, I'll just go back. I'll get clean. I'll go back to the person I was before I did drugs. And I think to myself, like, I wasn't like the nicest person in the world before I did drugs. I wasn't – I didn't like have my you-know-what together. I didn't really – have much of anything. I mean, I had problems, you had issues. And so I, I feel like everyone deserves a shot at dealing with all that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think I that's do. what a good treatment program is going to do for somebody is that they're actually going to not only address the drug use, but like, you know, actually address a person's actual problems in life and what it is that they run into that cause them stress and, you know, discomfort. Right. Um, and, and so back to this, uh, this thing in Franklin County, Ohio. Yeah, I'm really glad that they're actually going to be these inmates are offered treatment. That's how yep. that's how you get someone clean. Treatment is how you get clean. You don't get clean from another. You don't get clean just from an injection. You don't get clean from another drug. You don't get clean from 
antidepressants, and you certainly don't get clean by learning how to rub two sticks together to make a fire. Right. Um, right. You, get clean. <laughs> you know, for sure. I, I know that personally, <laughs> and I will bet you I could still make that stupid fire, and oh. it, uh, it absolutely did nothing for me. Um, well, you, but you'd be a good person to have around, you know, on a camping trip. I would be, yeah, I would be. I would I'd be an excellent person to have <laughs> during a camping trip where no one brought a lighter. Or letter yeah, flow. and for those of and for those of you who listen who are listening who wonder what on earth we're talking about, you'd have to listen to episode one and listen to Jason's story, or you'd have to listen to the one with his parents because one of the rehabs that he went to was like a wilderness training rehab. So that's that's what we're referring to. He knows how to make a fire. Woo! The part that bothers me about those wilderness those wilderness camps is their price is their price tag. I think it really? was. If I remember correctly, it was like two hundred and something dollars a day. Oh my goodness! And I was there for like three and a half months. I, I mean, that was like insanity for my parents. And oh my goodness, and how much of, of a of a POS am I that I use drugs the day I got home? But I mean, that's right. the grip addiction has on people. Right. I mean, that's that's the that's the that's that's the kind of thing because you know you can look, you can rub sticks together all day, you can hike all day, you can. You know, sit in groups of people and talk about how you might be a victim of circumstances and that everything happens to you and that you're not real causative in anything. And it's like, look, none of that's going to get you clean. One thing I think that's been really important for me, I know it's been important for everyone else that in, in my world that I know, is in, to get someone clean, you need to restore and return a person's sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because – What's one thing that most addicts have in common? That's a question. To a you. lack of that's that. A question to you. A lack of yeah, that. Yeah, a lack a of, sense of responsibility. A complete and utter irresponsibility. Because, right. and, and I don't know what it is because it's like almost like a syndrome that happens to every person that's addicted to drugs. Is that yes, they use drugs to solve problems. Yes, they're addicted to this and they can't stop using it because they're sick. But also at the same time, there's this like thing that happens in people's minds where they're like, you know what? I'm not responsible for any of this. And as a matter of fact, it's because of what you all did to me that I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I kind of just shake my head at it because it's like at some de- to some degree and at some point, an, a drug addict, in order to get clean, one, you have to take responsibility for everything that's gone on as right. you being the one that created it. Um, also... Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to be the most responsible point in your entire universe. Right. And being willing to accept that responsibility and you being the cause of that responsibility. Does that make sense? Yes, Um, it does. You know, there's a long time where I was like, how can I be responsible? I mean, yeah, I'm sure I'm responsible for stealing this. I'm responsible for lying here. But I mean, really, I mean, like, this is, I have to deal with life somehow. And it's like, why are you all just, you know, being so mean to me? And why, why can't I just like figure this out on my own? And like, you all need to just stay over there and like, mind your own business. Let me kind of figure this out and do that. And that's like one of those another irresponsible viewpoints is that a person who's going through addiction is just a victim of everything. Because right. the real fact of the matter is more often does the addict victimize other people than the addict is a victim themselves. Right. And look, I get that a lot of people who abuse drugs ha- have, have, have been abused. I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that a lot mm-hmm. of people 
who've used drugs have been, you know, sexually molested. I get that. That, but there are a lot of people who've been abused. Absolutely. But there are a lot of people who've been abused and sexually molested that don't do drugs. That choose to turn their lives around and live and, you know, not perpetuate that whole cycle. I get it. I do. And it's like, I, I get all that. But at the same time, while things in life do happen to us, we're the ones who are ultimately responsible with how we deal with it. And we're the ones who are ultimately responsible for what we do with it. You know what I mean? And so that's right. We're saying the same thing. It's really easy for like a treatment counselor or a therapist or someone to sit across from an addict and, and get into, you know, what's going on with them. They say, well, I use to numb out, you know, X, Y, and Z that happened to me in my past. And that can take a lot of people off guard initially and say, oh, well, I guess, you know what? I guess it makes sense. I actually have heard a counselor say that to, um, <laughs> say that to somebody. You know, that makes sense why you use drugs. What? That yeah. does, no, it doesn't. Nope. It doesn't. You can't. Yep. You, the people start to feel bad. And, it, and like I said, it, it catches them completely, completely, completely off guard. To hear something like right. that, some people don't know what to do with that, or they can't. They can't really like have that in a way. You know what I mean? Right. And so, yeah. Um, what people have to realize is like, yes, things happen to us, that, but that's life, unfortunately. And yep. some people go through some really heinous stuff. Um, but again, it is our responsibility as individuals to deal with it in the most appropriate and constructive way we can. Um, yeah. And it's very easy to blame all the different circumstances in one's life is to be, you know, the driving force and justification on why they've destroyed their lives. And, um, right. the, the, the fact of the matter is like, no matter what terrible thing happens to a person using drugs, doesn't erase that. That's it doesn't right. make that not, it doesn't make that not have happened. It doesn't like go back in that past and, and kind of smudge that out and erase it. It doesn't right. work like that. You know, one of the things, and this is, you know, piggybacking what I was saying before is that we as people, who use drugs or have used drugs have to find a different way to deal with life and to deal with life's right. problems because the way that we've chosen didn't work. Um, and the way we've chosen was obviously like a less constructive way than maybe what other people have done who have experienced the same things in life but didn't use drugs. Right. And so, you know, it, it, it really takes – it really takes one that return of responsibility to to understand that you know we're not victims to really get yep. us to a point where we can take control of our lives again because at least for me it was really easy to sit in a victim in a victim viewpoint you know look at life right. as i'm a victim and all this stuff has happened to me and it's funny that the the longer i stayed clean and continued doing, you know, what it is that I do, you know, there's one day where I had a cognition and I realized that's like, you know, I, I victimized more people than victimized me. Right. I, I victimized, I made everyone else into a victim more than I ever was one. And so I realized that's you know, heavy duty. And I realized this when I was in the program too. At one point I was like, I'm not a victim actually. I, I'm actually the creator of all of this. And, um, I had to sit with that for a minute. Right, and it, it took me off guard because when you feel a sense of responsibility rush back, you're like, "Oh, what the hell is that?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's an unusual sensation for someone yep. that uses drugs for so long. It's a very unusual situation. It, it, sensation, almost, I, I don't know, jarring. 
because yeah. all of a sudden you I feel that imagine. like responsibility rush back and you're like, oh, <laughs> and you see That's things a bit more is. clearly. And in my <laughs> opinion, it takes that to get someone clean. It takes right. that to change someone's viewpoint because, you know, look, until an addict thinks that they're going to survive better without drugs and with drugs, they're never going to stop getting high. And that's one of the parts that, and uh, you know, as someone that's using drugs has to come to terms with is that like they have to get to the point where they feel like they're surviving better without drugs. And until then, you know, yep. you're you're kind of wasting your breath. Um, and it takes specific steps yep. to to get a person there. Um, and you know, not everybody gets there, unfortunately. But they're you know the people that do. Um, it's life. It's life altering. It's life changing. Yep. And yep. my hope is you know that I get to clean up one addict at a time every day and I'm doing my due diligence. If I help at least one person a day, I'm doing my due diligence and I'm giving back because, you know, after all these years, you know, of being clean and, you know, moving forward in my life and helping others, you know, I feel like I still owe a debt to society. Oh, wow. That's serious. I I, no, like I understand it. that. I think you probably paid it back in spades, but I get it. I still feel like I, because, you know, there were so many people that tried to help me. There were so many people that tried to help me. And there were so many people that just talked to me for hours and hours and tried to counsel me and do all this stuff and just fell on deaf ears. I feel like I owe society back <laughs> for, you know, having, you know, gone through what I went through and putting people that I put them through. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, it's all it's made me a better person. And, you know. I can go to sleep at night and sleep well knowing that. That's good. Well, you should. That way. But you're doing the same thing too, Joni. Well, that's why I wanted to do the podcast, you know, because as I've said before, you know, I'm a mom and, you know, talking to your mom was just awesome because now that I know you, like I can only imagine what your mom went through and I don't want other moms to go through it, you know? Moms or dads or brothers or sisters or anybody. I don't want them to go through it. So we'll keep doing this. And we're going to. And that's why I enjoy doing what we're doing. Because I feel like I have we have a I feel like we have a captive audience. Yep. I think so too. I'm mm-hmm. hoping that there's people out there. I know there's at least one person out there that looks forward to our new episodes every <laughs> week. And that's my mother. So hi mom, if you're listening. <laughs> well, and then there's your aunt um, that plays it also, to her class, I- right? That's right. My aunt Rhonda plays a tour of her health class, which See? is awesome. Yeah. I did not know that until a few weeks ago. And uh, so hi, Aunt Rhonda, if you're listening. And, um, you know, I feel like we have a captive audience and I feel like you and I are speaking up for the families that are struggling with this. Yep. And we're speaking up for the addicts that are struggling with this because there's too often – you know, a family out there that has no place to turn to yep. and no, and, and no sound advice and no, no real data on what's going on out there. And I'm hoping we're providing that. You and me. Me too. Well, that's why we're talking. And next week I promise to be back in the studio. No, because <laughs> next week I won't oh. be in the studio. I'll that's be in right. LA. So that's you can right. you can I'm come not. to the studio if you want, but I won't be here. We'll still be on Skype. Well, me <laughs> me and Kobe could do a podcast. Well, there you go. Kobe's my dog, everybody. And he had drugs recently, but he's okay now. 
Is he? Are you sure he's okay? Yes, he's okay. He had <laughs> he had major dental surgery. He lost a bunch of teeth because little dogs like that they just they get bad teeth anyway. But he's very happy now. He's doing well. So you and Kobe could do the podcast. I like that. Yeah, and I just want to let everyone know that's out there. Um, yes, we survived Hurricane Irma. Yep. Um, we just got power back on a couple days ago, and so we are the reason we, me and Joni, are. Uh, Putting our, our doing are doing this remotely. Not in the same place. It, it, not in the same place. <laughs> are be, is because the um, the phone lines and the amount of work that needed to get done just exploded over here, and it was impossible for me to get out of here. But the good news is that people are calling and reaching, and we've got our students back here from Louisiana, and we're just rolling business as usual now. So. Um, if anyone out there was wondering, that's 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 the kind of the state of the union right now. There you go. That's the state of Narcan on Suncoast. So we will talk next week. Yes, we will. And um, we'll talk to you then. I look forward to it. Good. You have a good week, Jason. All right, Joni. Bye. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org. Narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 